I don't know if you knew this, uh, that's a mix that's original to us. That's Jay-Z and Guns N' Roses. We didn't do those parts. But if you know anything about DJs, our own DJ, King Carey, put that together. That was Ricky at the end, Ricky Echiona. Isn't that good? So we've been uh, in this series since the beginning of the year. Welcome to the jungle. I'm going to miss that little mix uh, each week. We've actually made it all the way through Daniel. And today we're doing the last five chapters all at once. And they're all very different. We've been looking at histories and stories, and now we're going to look at prophecies. And if we haven't met already, my name is Eric. I'm so glad that you're here at Gateway. We love everyone life by life. And if this is your first time with us, thanks for coming and hope that you'll come back. I, I will uh, just remind you or give you a heads up. Uh, when you dive into the apocalyptic, it can get a little bit crazy. So hang in there today. Today's a little different. Um, but it's good to be back. Uh, last week, I just heard it was an amazing Sunday. John Burke was here on the Legacy Tour, and I missed it. I was sick. But you should know I'm okay. I'm, I'm, I came back negative on all tests this week, which when it comes to medicine, you want to be negative, right? That's good. So all is good. I'm all better. I sound, may sound bad, but I feel good. And so I'm glad for that. But, you know, usually we give all these messages about prophecies to John. And I called him this week and realizing I'd missed so often. I was in India in a couple weeks in January and then last week missed. And then we didn't even have service here when the power was out. So I told him, okay, for the first time in 12 years, instead of streaming John talking about prophecies, I feel ready. And so I'm going to sh share with you some of the things that we can learn from these prophecies that can actually help us today. And so I'm excited about that. So when it comes to the prophecies, here's what you need to realize. Here's why it matters to all of us. You might be unsure about God. You may be closer to God than you've ever been. But what we can discover is if you can read things in the scriptures that are predicting the future and they have come to pass, it will help you trust what's in the Bible. Now, there's a lot in the Bible that's easy to read, quick to apply. I would recommend you start there. And I'll give you some resources to help you do that. But it can give you the kind of faith and help you be ready for the parts of the Bible that are a little harder to understand, a little more difficult. And I don't want to shy away from this, though, because it's incredibly remarkable what we're going to look at today. In fact, about 3,500 years ago, that's when human history was widely starting to be recorded. There's a moment where God has an encounter with a man named Moses, and he records this in the book of Deuteronomy, and it says this, God says, any prophet who falsely claims to speak in my name must die. But you may wonder, how will we know whether or not a prophecy is from the Lord? If the prophet speaks in the Lord's name, 
but his prediction does not happen or come true, you will know that the Lord did not give that message. Now, I should point out, it sounds a little bit harsh that a prophet who's not telling the truth should die. Things were different 3,500 years ago. Too many people were standing up saying, this is what God wants us to do. This is what God wants us to do. And what God's saying here is you will know if they're actually from me, if what they says comes to pass. God says, I alone know the future. I alone validate my words spoken through a prophet by telling him in advance what is going to happen. And when it happens, you'll know that I am the one true God. God reiterates this. Years later, 700 years before Jesus, 2,700 years ago, in a conversation with a man named Isaiah, and he wrote this down. God said to him, present your case. Declare to us the things to come. Tell us what the future holds so we may know that you are God's. See, only the one true God can tell us what the future holds. And God does that in unbelievable ways, really, in the rest of Daniel chapter 7. And we're not going to be able to hit all the prophecies that we see in these chapters. But I do want to encourage you, if you've never watched it, go watch the book of Daniel on thebibleproject.com. And I think you'll find it incredibly helpful. And even reading through Daniel can be something you can do as a result of today's conversation. But I want to show you some things that will help. Putting the pieces together is not always easy. And that's because not all the pieces are actually there. Daniel himself has trouble making sense at times of these collage of images, some of them coming to him in a dream, some in a vision. And some of the prophecies are pointing towards what's to come with when the Messiah is to come. And others are about when the Messiah is to come again at the end of all time. What's important to understand is that God is not giving us a full-blown picture of the future, only fragments and portions, but just enough to reassure us that he's in control. That he's in control of those are who are in control. Enough to inspire us to stay true no matter what the future may hold. Now, if you study prophecy, it's very easy to see looking backwards with hindsight that God is the one authoring this. But looking forward, it's kind of sketchy for a reason. I think in parts because it would overwhelm us if we knew too much about the future. It would probably be detrimental for us. Some of you know, a couple weeks ago, with five minutes left in the Super Bowl, I get a call from my son, 23 years old. He's in a car wreck. First fender bender. He's never been in any incident like this. So I pushed pause on the game, and I drove, and it was worse than I feared. I mean, in the end, the car, I was totaled. It was my dad's car. He, he passed along to his grandson. And it's gone. And if I had known, if I'd seen an image of that wreck years ago, Caleb would have never been allowed to drive. <laughs> but I can tell you, he's fine. The person in the other car is fine. Caleb's friends took good care of him. He, he's going to be okay. In fact, it's, there's good that can come out of a kind of a near-death experience, so to speak. But if we know too much about the future, it might immobilize us. It might paralyze us. So God just gives us enough that we can trust him to move forward. That's why this series, we're calling it Welcome to the Jungle, because we live in a world, in a time, in a place where things are not as we want them to be. 
it feels like circumstances can be overwhelming, but we can trust God in the midst of it. We can have a faith that's bigger than our fear. And, and so it's important to realize when we're looking at this, there's so much going wrong nowadays that you might even start thinking, are we living in the end times? I can tell you this with certainty. We are closer to the end today than we were yesterday. That may not make you feel any better. But seriously, though, I want you to understand that there are some things in the scripture that can give us encouragement and hope no matter how crazy the world gets. Now, some of you grew up in the 80s. Anyone grew up in the 80s in here? Yeah. Back when things were stranger. And here's what's really fascinating those of you that weren't born yet in the 80s, maybe you're in your 20s, when I was a kid growing up in Lubbock, Texas, we would have drills in case there was a nuclear attack from the Soviets. I don't know why they were so afraid in Lubbock. I doubt that would be one of the first targets. And frankly, jumping under a desk, I don't think would have protected us from nuclear fallout. But I grew up in an era where we were afraid that the end was near. In fact, there was a book that came out called The Late Great Planet Earth. We were certain this was it. And life kept going. Soviet Union fell. And so it's hard to know, is right now the end of all things or the end of an era and the beginning of a new era? There is this really beautiful passage of scripture that I think will really encourage you. I hope it does. It's encouraged me over the years. But it says this in Matthew 24, which is Jesus talking about the end. And it says this, at one point he says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. I think it's beautiful that God's heart for all peoples, all nations, is the only reason he's waiting. That everyone might have a chance in their own language to hear the message of Jesus. So they can decide if they want to be with him or not. What's interesting is there are people who are translating the Bible into languages. And there's only a few left that have not yet received the scriptures in their native language. See, the scriptures tell us to live with urgency. To love God and to love others as we love ourselves. We're not to be afraid of the end. We're to be urgent and doing the right things even now. We don't need to fear his return. We need to just be faithful in loving him and loving those around us. See, the scriptures tell us that one day Jesus will return and all will be made right. But the scriptures also tell us that to God, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. So we're not sure exactly when the end is coming. But we can be a part of bringing the message to those we love, those around us. We can be a part of bringing more of heaven to earth. Now, I should warn you, Matthew 24 has some encouraging moments, but it also warns us, Jesus warns us, to avoid letting others deceive us, that there will be many coming, claiming to be the Messiah, trying to trick us. And there will be wars and famines and earthquakes. There will be an increase in wickedness. And there will be persecution for those who have faith. But in the middle of all that chaos, which some of which we see all around us, it says, see to it that you are not alarmed. 
In other words, Jesus is saying, don't be surprised that in a broken world, things are broken. That bad things will happen. But one day I will come and will make all things right. We should not allow our love for God and our love for others to grow cold. We're not to give up on our faith. We're to have more faith than we have fear. To have more faith in the midst of challenging circumstances. We've seen what Jesus described in Matthew 24 happening throughout history. Happening even now in different parts of our world. And so we shouldn't be surprised just because we may not have faced persecution because of our faith in our country, in our lifetime. We should know that other people have and are even now. But when it happens, it shouldn't surprise us. We should realize that Jesus warned us and is with us in the midst of those challenging times. Now, two things will happen as you study these prophecies. And one, I need to say that you will discover an assurance that God really is sovereign, that he is in control of who's in control. And sometimes it takes him longer than we want it to to make some changes. But God gives us freedom, and in that freedom, oftentimes our judgment is actually he gives us what we say we want. God really is sovereign. He really is over historical events. But the other thing that you'll start to notice is that God reminds us we're part of a spiritual kingdom that's already here and yet not yet fully here. So we shouldn't get too caught up in the kingdoms of this world that come and go. We should love God and serve Him. Seek to know Him through the Scriptures. In fact, learning to hear God's voice through the Scriptures is critical if you call yourself someone who follows Jesus. If you're not spending time with God through the scriptures, I want to give you a few resources to help you start doing that. One is just start reading with me this month through the Gospel of Luke. And in fact, you can follow me on social media, and I have a little video of every single chapter in the New Testament. We're going to read the Gospel of Luke this month. You can even follow me on Twitter or TikTok until we don't have those anymore, right? But, but if you go to that website that's on the screen, you'll see the different ways that you can get involved. But it's this simple. All you do is you watch the video, and then you just pray, God, show me who you are and who you want me to be. And then you read that chapter. And as you're reading, you just notice what may stand out. Notice what you might be able to apply. And then write it down, either in the comments or in your own journal. And, and you can just try it for a month. Maybe add it to what you're already doing. Or if you're not doing anything, just try it. Just join us in that. Or another resource is digging deeper. If you're not taking advantage of that every single week, I want to encourage you to do so. Just go to gatewaychurch.com slash digging deeper and you'll see questions and even guidance on how to read a passage of scripture, notice what's happening in it and apply it to your life. And this can be a discussion with your family, with your roommates, or even with your community group, which is another resource to help you discover how to hear God's voice through the scriptures. New groups are even starting this week. And I'm going to give you a bonus because I know some of you, reading is not your thing. I want to encourage you, you can do it. It's worth the 10, 15 minutes to just read a chapter. Really, it'll take you five minutes to read through it. But I want to give you something, I'm going to call it a bonus. This is not to replace reading the Bible. This is a bonus. But some of us are, are more visual. If you have not yet started watching the show called The Chosen, I encourage you to do so. And season one is on Netflix. 
and so just replace whatever nasty show you've been watching <laughs> with The Chosen. Just try it. And season one is on there, and it's fantastic, right? Season two and three, you'll have to get your own little app. It's called The Chosen App, and it's totally worth it. Some of you know this story, but my daughter and I are at the end of season two in the crowd, Sermon on the Mount, which is also the beginning of season three. I made it in two seasons. But it was actually filmed the Wednesday before the winter storm that we had in, in 2021 that wiped us out for like a week. So it was like negative five degree wind chill, and we're out there trying to act like it's summer in the Middle East. It was very difficult. I was a really great actor that day. But I want to just acknowledge that some of you are here and, and prophecies are, are something you're familiar with, you've read through, you love them, it has affirmed your faith, it encourages you. But I also know there are two different types of extremes that you might fall into as well. Some of you are hearing this and it triggers you. Prophecies and the end times, it just kind of freaks you out. Let me just encourage you, if you are triggered right now, join us tomorrow at Restore and learn how to handle those moments when you're triggered. It's true. Uh, my wife and I are part of it. It's been an incredible experience. But then others of us, it's not that it triggers us. It actually becomes something we're consumed with. And we get into these conspiracy video wormholes that can actually distract us. We forget that God is a God of peace. And, and as we study the prophecies, we become more and more like the type of person that's got their Bible and they're watching the news and they're, they're trying to, uh oh, that's just happened. Like right now, I'm seeing it. We don't know when the end will come, but we can trust it'll be exactly when it should be. We don't have to worry about figuring it out, mapping it out. We just need to seek to love God and allow his presence in our life and to come through our life and that peace that passes understanding. So you can trust God with your now and with your unknown. If you hear nothing else today, you can trust God with your now and with your unknown. See, the God of your present is the God of your future. And in the future, fear does not win. So let's look at some of these prophecies. Chapter 7. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream. And visions passed through his mind as he was lying in his bed. He wrote down the substance of his dream. Daniel said, in my vision at night, I looked, and there before me were the four winds of heaven churning up the great sea. Four great beasts, each different from the others, came up out of the sea. Now, just a reminder, chronologically, we've already read about the end of Belshazzar's reign. This was the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar. And if you remember, when you're looking at world history, time is counting down towards the birth of Jesus. And so we're going to go back now to 553 B.C. But in chapter 5, we read about the writing on the wall. That was the night that Belshazzar was destroyed, killed by the Medes and Persians. And Babylon was destroyed. That's a real event that happened in 539 B.C. But in chapter 7... Verse 1, we're now back at 553 B.C. It's the beginning of Belshazzar's rule, and everything looks great to him. But Daniel knew there were some ominous things to come. Now, if, you were to, if we had the time to read all through chapter 7, you'll discover there is the vision, and then there's an angel who explains the vision. That's not always the case. Sometimes there's just a vision. 
But what we can see in this, in Revelation chapter 7, verse 1, there's also a mention of four winds that are under control of the four mighty angels. And in Revelation 9, the four angels are told to release the winds on earth to allow people to have what they've been clamoring for. And so there's this connection between the end of things. And sometimes when we read prophecies, it's either about to happen or it still hasn't happened yet. And it's always hard to tell which is which. But in this one in particular, we start to see very specific things that Daniel is able to see that has not yet happened. Listen to this. It's quite remarkable. Daniel chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar, the grandson or grandfather of Belshazzar, had a vision in which there was this statue and it had different levels on this statue made of different types of material. And that syncs up with Daniel chapter 7 and what we're about to read, which syncs up with actual real kingdoms. And you can see it on the board there. This golden head is the same as the winged lion, which is Babylon. And you can see the years. On the right is real history. On the left is visions and prophecies that happened hundreds of years beforehand. So let's keep reading. Chapter 7, verse 4. In his vision, the first beast was like a lion. And it had the wings of an eagle. And I watched until its wings were torn off and it was lifted from the ground so that it stood on two feet like a man. And the heart of man was given to it. The first kingdom represented by a lion was Babylon. The lion was the seal of Babylon. And the symbol of its wings being plucked off, and then a man standing there, given a heart of a man, refers to Nebuchadnezzar. In chapter 4, we saw how in his pride, he ends up being driven from his kingdom, losing his sanity, walking around like a beast only to acknowledge God, to humble himself and acknowledge I am not as powerful as I thought. It's the God of Daniel who controls all things and in his kingdom is restored. And so we see that in chapter 4. But verse 5 of chapter 7 says this, And there before me was a second beast, which looked like a bear. It was raised up on one of its sides, and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. It was told, Get up! And eat your fill of flesh. Now the second vision, or second beast in this vision is a bear. And it's, it's not equal. It's lopsided because the Medes and the Persians teamed up together to take out the Babylonians. But it was obviously the Persians that were more powerful because their king, Cyrus, was the one who reigned. And there were three major military conquests, which could be what the three ribs represent. The Medes and Persians together defeated the Lydian Empire, the Chaldean Empire, and even the Egyptians. Let's keep going. Chapter 7, verse 6. Up on the screen it'll say, After that I looked, and there before me was another beast, one that looked like a leopard, and on its back it had four wings like those of a bird. This beast had four heads, and it was given authority to rule. Now the third kingdom represented by a leopard with four wings and four heads maps right up to the reign of Alexander the Great. The Greek Empire, which swiftly overthrew the Persian Empire in the year 333 B.C. and lasted until 164 B.C. when the Jewish Maccabean Revolt occurred against the Greek king Antiochus Epiphanes. Now here's what's amazing about Daniel. 
He's given another prophecy in chapter 8 and another in chapter 11 with even more details. Let me just give you an example. The angel explains to Daniel in this other vision. Now then, I tell you the truth. Three more kings will arise in Persia, and then a fourth who will be far richer than all the others. When he has gained power by his wealth, he will stir up everyone against the kingdom of Greece. Then a mighty king will arise who will rule with great power and do as he pleases. After he has arisen, his power will be broken up and parceled out towards the four winds of heaven. It will not go to his descendants, nor will it have the power he exercised, because his empire will be uprooted and given to others. So think about this for a moment. This is incredibly specific. In the year 537 B.C., Daniel is saying that the Persians will have four kings, and then they will be replaced by another king who will not be replaced by his own heir but instead by four rulers. And what happened in history? Well, in 537, this prophecy was given to Daniel, and in 529 is when Cambyses became the ruler of the Persians. Then Gomata, who was assassinated the next year. Then Darius. And then the fourth king, who was richer than them all, just as prophesied, named Xerxes. But he was the one destroyed by Greece. And the Greece, in the end, after Alexander ruled, was ruled by four different people called the Ptolemaic Empire, the Seleucid Empire, the Pergamum, and the Macedonian. Now, this is incredibly specific. The Bible has more history in it coming in the future than you and I have even liked to study history in the past. In fact, I have to admit, I, I kind of like history. There's a strengths finder assessment, and one of the strengths is called context, or used to be called past. I have that one. Let me, let me give you an example. Uh, when I'm on vacation, I usually read historical biographies. I joke with my wife. I like to take Doris Kearns Goodwin with me on vacation. She's the author of all these books. There's one person who knows who I'm talking about. <laughs> and then I also like this one podcast. I can't necessarily recommend it. But it is called Hardcore History. And this guy will do six hours per episode and five episodes per war. It's fascinating. <laughs> so that's what happens when you have this as a strength, right? But I, I want to just say this. It, it is remarkable the precision with, with Daniel's visions came true in real life. Now, you may be here, you may be a little bit skeptical, and you're thinking, well, how do we know? This wasn't written after all of it happened. In fact, there are some people who said this cannot be from 500 B.C. because it's so accurate. So either it came after or God is the God of the future. God can be trusted. His word is alive and active, and we can read it, study it, and apply it to our lives. I like to think it's that one. But let me give you, for those of you who are uncertain, like how do we know this came before? How do we know it didn't come after? Let me give you a few quick reasons we know. First, the internal claims. The writer is spelling out specific dates and kings during which he writes facts that check out with archaeology. Second, there's the Aramaic and Hebrew vocabulary. This could not have been written after all of this because of the version of Hebrew and Aramaic it was written in matches what came 500 years before. Any of you study Shakespeare? Uh, yeah, maybe not like now, but I mean like in school, <laughs> at some point in your life. 
Remember, you read Shakespeare, and it's 500-year-old English, and it sounds crazy, right? Here's a, a sampling. Glamis thou art, and Caldor, and shalt be what thou art promise. Yet do I fear thy nature. It is too full of the milk of human kindness. What does this mean? <laughs> this is in English, I promise. But it's 500 years old. And so when you read the Hebrew and the Aramaic that's in these manuscripts that we have from Daniel, it does not match after all these things happened. It matches what was more common 500 years before Jesus. Here's my favorite, though. This one's fascinating. Josephus was a, a Jewish historian. And he puts Daniel as at least before 332 B.C. Do you know why? Listen to this. And he writes this. And when the book of Daniel was shown to Alexander the Great, in which he had declared that one of the Greeks would destroy the empire of the Persians, Alexander the Great believed himself to be the one indicated. And in his joy, he dismissed the multitude for the time being. How cool would that be to be Alexander the Great, to be shown this ancient manuscript that says, there will be a Greek king who destroys the Persians who ruled over everything. That gives you a little confidence. Oh, we're going to win. And this is a non-believing historian that wrote this, saying there is a record of a moment when the book of Daniel was read to Alexander the Great. Couldn't be written after all that happened because Alexander the Great read it. And finally, there's one other. The Dead Sea Scrolls, we found the oldest version of Daniel is 150 years before Jesus. Now, this is very common to not have the originals in ancient literature. It's actually remarkable how much of the Bible we have compared to other ancient works. Any of you ever read Homer, the Iliad, the Odyssey? We have like a handful of copies several hundred years from the original, whereas we have Lots and lots of copies of the Bible, much closer to the originals. So in terms of ancient writings, it, the Bible is nothing close to any of the original. All the others are, are, are nothing as close. Now you have to remember how they made copies. They didn't go to Kinko's, which some of you don't know what Kinko's is, I just realized. <laughs> they didn't go to FedEx, is that what it's called now? They didn't make copies at the library. They literally would take the manuscript and they would have to write it out. And they would pass it on and then they would write another one and they'd pass it on. And it would spread throughout the empires, wherever they lived at the time, to other Jews who wanted to read it. And so an archaeologist, not a believer, said this. The Daniel originals came from a period several centuries in advance of the earliest date to which these manuscripts and fragments can be assigned on any basis of reckoning. Let me give you the, the reason for that. If you have a version of the book of Daniel in Aramaic and in Hebrew and in Syriac and all these different languages that come back to 150, it has to have an original from years prior in order to be translated in so many different languages. There is no way in ancient history that Daniel could have been written after all this history and then translated and spread out the Roman Empire in time. And so a non-believing archaeologist says, oh yeah, the book of Daniel came plenty of time before the oldest manuscripts. All of this is pointing towards the fact you can trust what's in the Bible. 
You may not understand everything that it's saying, but can you, can, you can trust the God of the Bible. In fact, Jesus gives us a great summarizing thought. He says this at the end of Matthew 7, one of the greatest sermons ever shared, Sermon on the Mount. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. See, we live in a world where there are storms, and they just keep coming. But if you build your life on solid foundation of faith, you can endure whatever storm might come your way. But without that firm foundation, you will be blown to and fro. You will find overcoming and enduring through the trials and storms of life to be almost impossible. I can tell you with the highs and lows of the life I've been able to live, it was my faith that got me through. I want to invite you to consider building your life on a firm foundation of faith. What's beautiful is that we see Daniel seeing into the future, a king of kings, a lord of lords, who would have an eternal kingdom that would come and last forever. And we know that story in the life of Jesus. That Jesus walked among us, lived a perfect life, taught with authority, healed people who were sick, loved the outcast, and ultimately died on a cross, taking upon himself all the evils of humanity, all that had ever happened or ever will happen, and it killed him. But he rose from the dead. We could not keep the God who is love in the tomb. He is alive, and his spirit comes to live within each and every one of us when we say yes to following him. And one of the things that Jesus would do, if you read the Gospel of Luke with me, or if you watch The Chosen, if you read any of the Gospels, you'll see that Jesus referred to him most himself most often as the Son of Man, which comes right from Daniel 7. Listen to this. The band's going to come up and lead us in a song, but listen to this as I read it. As I look, Daniel says, thrones were set in place and the ancient of days took a seat. His clothing was as white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming like fire. And there before me was one like a son of man. Coming with the clouds of heaven, he approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Daniel could see that one son of man, a human being, would reign over this kingdom, be enthroned next to the Ancient of Days, the creator of the universe. And so it did not surprise the Jews who became followers of Jesus that the one true God would reveal himself as a human being because they knew, as Daniel said, it would happen 500 years prior. 
It doesn't blow their minds like it does ours that there's one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. They longed for the day that God would come to rescue us. And now we know his name is Jesus. God created you on purpose and with a purpose. And I want to invite you as the band leads us in a song to take a moment to examine your heart. We're singing a song that says, fear is not my future. God, you are my future. If that's not true of where you're at today, I want to invite you to make it so. Just ask God, God, forgive me for trying to do things my own way. I want you to lead me, guide me. I want what happened on the cross to count for me. And if you do that today for the first time, would you let us know we want to help you in your journey? And if you've ever done that at some point in your life, during this song, we're going to take communion. And I want to invite you to take communion with us. But the scriptures tell us to examine our hearts before we do that. Ask God, is there anything I need to surrender? God, is there anything that has become a barrier between what you have for me and you? Surrender whatever it is that he brings to mind. And if you're not yet ready to follow Jesus, just observe, just enjoy this moment. Maybe even start a prayer. Begin the conversation with God. I want to invite you to stand in this moment. Allow this time to be a chance to connect your heart to God, either through singing with us or praying as you stand. Let's examine our heart in this moment. Him work it for your good. He's not done with what he started. He's not done until it's good. Let him turn it in your favor. Watch him done with what he started he's not done until it's good so hello peace hello joy hello love hello strength hello hope it's a new horizon hello peace hello joy Hello, love, hello, strength, hello, hope, it's a new horizon.
Father, I just ask that you would give us a faith bigger than our circumstances. Heavenly Father, would you show us how much you love us, that we would live out of the overflow of that love as demonstrated on the cross and giving us life and every good gift that we have. So even now as we take communion, God, show us your love for us. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took some bread, broke it, passed it to those sharing a meal with him, and he said to them, when you eat this bread, I want you to remember I'm giving my body for you. When you eat it, remember what I've done for you. Let's take same night he took a cup and he said to them this wine represents the blood I'm shedding for you when you drink of it remember what I've done for you let's take and drink thank you God so much to come for us. No one else is coming to rescue us when you came. God, would you work in our hearts and through our hearts and lives that those we love, those we care for would come to discover the peace and your presence and love that we've caught a glimpse of. God, would what you're doing among some of the young people on college campuses today happen in our hearts, sweep across our nation, sweep across the state, across our city, across our church, that we would be so in awe of your love that it would bubble up and out of our life to where we work, to where we live, to our family, to our friends. So God, as we sing this song, hear this not just it's lyrics, but our cry that you are our future. You are our present. We can trust you now. We can trust you with our unknown. We thank you, God. In Jesus' name, I pray. Let's sing this out together.
God, we thank you that with you it is a new day, that you are reliable, you're dependable, that um, just how we got to hear all those prophecies in your word where you were telling what was going to happen in the future and it did come to pass, that there's a security in that, but you're also a God of mystery and that there are some things that we may never know, but we thank you that um, your presence is a promise that you say that you are with us always, that you are for us. And so would our hearts just begin to trust you in the places that feel um, like we have to fight for ourselves or where we're guarded, in the places where we feel hesitant, God, to hand it over to you in our lives. Would we just give you more and more? Would we trust that you really are a good father, that you are who you say you are? You're a man of your word. And would our hearts be open to surrendering our lives to you, knowing that your will is always best. And we pray this in your name. Amen. You guys can go ahead and have a seat. I've got a few details for you. I am Hannah. If we haven't met before, I'm our creative arts pastor here at South Campus. This is Monty. Uh, so I want to tell you, if this is your first Sunday here, what you're gonna wanna do is head over to our connect spot in the lobby, and we're gonna have a really cool free gift for you, first of all, and it's a legit gift. It's not lame, it's really cool. Um, so go ahead and head over there. You're gonna fill out a connect uh, card, and we're just gonna get some info so that we can help you get plugged into community here. Um, if you've been here for a while maybe, and you're like, I would like to jump into something new, maybe it's a group, maybe it's a class, you're also going to head to that connect spot. Anything basically you want to know, go over there. Um, I'm going to plug something real quick. If you notice today we had Casper on keys, we had Sophia singing and Nadia um, singing as well. So those are three, the three of them. Two of them are in college, Sophia I think is still in high school. but. Um, they actually went through our worship development program at one point. And so that's going to start. We're starting our new semester Tuesday night. And I think it's one of the coolest things we do. I help lead it. But it's, it's really amazing. So um, it's just it's a great space for if you are middle school through high school and you're wanting to just grow in your creative gifts, we're kind of giving them like a finger painting space. Basically anything they want to dabble in from production to singing, to um, playing a musical instrument, to just kind of like growing in confidence, learning our communication skills from the stage or just relationally with one another. And then 
some cool just spiritual rhythms in our lives like reading scripture and learning how to um, hear from God and how to pray, all those things. Um, so if that's something that you either have a kid in middle school or high school would be interested, hit the connect spot about that. Um, but if you're in the room and you're a teenager too, I really encourage you to do it. It's a lot of fun and you meet a lot of cool kids too. Um, next, we're going to move into a space of it's worship, it's giving. Um, we talk a lot at the top of service, like music is one of the ways that we like to worship God. Well, giving, you've stepped into a really generous community today. Um, there are some amazing things that when we give and when we partner with God, he's able to do through our church body. And so if that's a next step for you and you consider Gateway or Church Home, I encourage you to worship together with us in that. Um, if this is your first service or you're still checking this whole thing out, don't feel obligated. Um, no pressure. And then lastly, um, if you just felt kind of your heart was moved during the message and you're like, you know, it's fun to pray with God alone, but sometimes it's really nice to have someone who can kind of bring you to the feet of Jesus, who can minister to us in that way. We have a phenomenal prayer team over here in this corner. They're there every week. And I just want to encourage you. I know it's easy to like kind of brush it off. It's really lovely to have them pray for you. So if that's a next step for you, go ahead and head over there. I know they'd love to serve you in that way. And then lastly, like Eric mentioned, Chosen. Our next series we're starting next week is called Chosen. So you don't want to miss it. We're kicking off our first week together. So yeah, come back next Sunday, and I hope you have a lovely week. Thanks for coming. <laughs>